Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with Barbara Mayfield, a registered dietitian who has a passion for nutrition education and communications, who has worked in a variety of settings, including WIC and Purdue University. Her latest project has been enjoying retirement, her grandchildren, and being the editor for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics publication, Communicating Nutrition, The Authoritative Guide. Please enjoy my conversation with Barb. All right, my dear. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. I'm very excited to get to know you better, learn more about your journey in dietetics. And so maybe take me back to when you were younger and how did you kind of discover dietetics? Was it something that you knew about or did you kind of fall into the profession? Well, I would say that when I went to college, although I was in a foods and nutrition major, I'm not sure quite honestly, that I knew the word dietetics. Maybe I'd seen it somewhere in the college manual about catalog, (laughs) whatever they were called back in the 70s. But I got started with an interest in foods and nutrition sort of back in high school. I really enjoyed foods and cooking and I did nannying work for a couple of different families and I used to make meals for them and help their kids cook and all of this and I was really encouraged by those families like you should really study this and so I thought okay I'm going to develop recipes and I'm going to become the director of the Good Housekeeping Institute or something amazing like that so that's so I, I I grew up in Ithaca New York And I applied to Cornell and actually was accepted because everybody did that if their dad was a professor there. But I really didn't want to stay home. So I applied to Purdue, which had an amazing program in foods and nutrition, was accepted and never regretted that decision. Loved, loved my time there. But while I was in probably my freshman year, I was in a major called foods and nutrition and business. And so that had an emphasis in doing things like that aspiration to work at Good Housekeeping. And my uh, advisor told me, you might really want to consider double majoring in dietetics because getting the RD credential could really help open doors. I was like, okay. It was like, you know, two or three extra classes, maybe, maybe not even that many. And so I double majored in both. And over the course of those years as an undergraduate, I really kind of leaned more towards nutrition over time and not necessarily away from foods, but I never really went into that initial aspiration. I really got turned on by the whole area of nutrition education slash nutrition communication. My favorite course as a student was our nutrition communication course. It was the thing that propelled me then when I did go back actually to Cornell to get my graduate work, I did it with a focus in nutrition communication. That's awesome. I never had a class like that. I'm so jealous because <laughs> I think I would have loved well, that. Oh, you would have. It's the best class. And and what we found when we were researching for the book was that only 20% of of academic programs that teach foods and nutrition dietetics have a nutrition communication course. Mm. So it's really quite unique. And the fact that we had one all those many years ago, and then I went back later and taught it, um, is is unique. But it's such a valuable course. And, and obviously the book that we worked on together sure. uh, will be a very valuable refor- resource, even if a curriculum doesn't have a specific course. We're, we're really trying to help them integrate it into a variety of courses. So that's my, my, that's my story of how I got in the door okay. in dietetics. Okay. So when you, I think that's interesting how a class like that kind of, you already, you already kind of had it in the back of your head. Like I want to, I want to run good, 
housekeeping institute. That would be amazing. <laughs> and then you kind of took a class and was like, this really could be possible. That's awesome. So as you kind of finished up your education and you got your master's um, in that area, which is amazing that that was available to you and it was so close to home. Um, what, what kind of, what was the landscape for you as far as job opportunities and what you were looking for? So it, again, at this point, when I'd finished my master's, it was, the interest wasn't in the kind of nutrition communication where I would be working in a magazine. The sort of journalism media thing wasn't as much my interest at that time as more nutrition education. Okay. And so also as I finished up graduate school, we were starting a family. We were going to return to Indiana where my husband's family was and he was going to be joining his father in, uh, in business. And so I also have a very unique story about my first job in that uh, in the hospital room with my brand new daughter, who's now going on 39, <laughs> the doctor was asking me about what my background was and what I did. And I said, well, I was, I'm just getting ready to study for the RD exam and I've just finished graduate school. And he said, you know, we could really use some help counseling our patients uh, we lived in, we, in fact, we still do live in the same house, live in a rural community that doesn't have a hospital and doesn't have uh, dietitians in town. And he was like, would you, would you be interested in counseling our patients? And I said, oh, that sounds like starting a private practice. Could you give me, well, let me pass the exam. Yeah. <laughs> within, within six months, I started a private practice. So very unlike, and this is wow. we're talking in 1981, <laughs> very unlike most routes to starting an entrepreneur endeavor like that. Uh, I did not work clinically and I did not even have another job before I started it. But I did that for many, many, many years. And I did that also in conjunction as over time and as we were raising our kids, I also consulted in nursing homes. I started working at WIC. In fact, at one point I was doing all three of those things. Oh so like was, WIC was two days a week and I was consulting in a nursing home one day a week and I was doing private practice a couple of days a week. And I just did that in our home and just sort of evolved over time. And so again, live in Indiana, live in a small town. We're about 30 minutes outside of where Purdue University is. And I have never been without work, ever. I mean, dietetics is such a wonderful field in that there are just opportunities everywhere. And this was way before the internet. I mean, when I look at people like on Instagram, they're doing everything online and I'm thinking, wow, that would have been cool back then. But no kidding. <laughs> I, I just, I did it without it. So then my next big career period was WIC. So over time, I eventually became full-time in WIC. I became a program coordinator and then did a lot of work in WIC, not just in my local program, but because I had such an interest in nutrition education, I developed a curriculum that was used to teach kids about nutrition that was used nationally. I got a USDA grant that helped develop it. And because that was only going to get like one copy into each state, I said, I think I'd like to start a company. Would it be all right if I uh, printed more copies of this and I sold it? And so I started a company called Noteworthy Creations. And on the side of this job at WIC, I sold Kids Club for 17 years and other things. I developed more things and then did lots of traveling around the country to speak about how do you teach nutrition to kids and uh, let's that's see. exciting I wrote like you know when you think about writing curriculum though you know like that's not an easy thing to do so when you think about wrapping your head around writing a curriculum how did have you you like the nutrition education aspect so how was it to write uh, I don't know I always did if I really went even back further into before I was a nanny <laughs> If we go back to when I was was even maybe middle school, junior high school age, I've always loved to teach. And so mm. prior to being a nanny, I used to run a, a preschool kind of thing during the summers in my yard. I called it play school. And so I was just a teacher of young kids like from the get go. And so 
I think that was one of the reasons that nutrition ed was so interesting to me when I became aware of it in college. And it wasn't just the nutrition communication course I took. I remember we had a guest speaker from the Dairy Council come to a interest group meeting of students. And when she described what she did, I was like, oh my goodness, I would so love to do that. And again, in the same way that I've never worked at Good Housekeeping, I've never worked at the Dairy Council, but they were inspirations <laughs> of what mm-hmm. what is possible. And so, I don't know, writing things like that, I, I love it. I really enjoy creating things like that. I've done several things uh, for different populations. I developed a curriculum for high school health in Maryland with the USDA Team Nutrition Grant. I created uh, materials to train child care providers in how to implement the dietary guidelines and did lots of trainings and developed those for extension agents to use, extension educators to use. And I, I like developing materials. I really do. I'm, in fact, I'm working on the materials that will go with the book that educators that implement it in the university settings will have resources to put it into practice in their classroom. Oh, very neat. That's awesome. So you're like, so does that come easy for you when it comes to writing? Is that something that you find it very natural? Something I enjoy. I don't know if easy is the right word. (laughs) Writing is hard work. Writing is extremely hard work, and I would say creating textbooks has been some of the hardest work that I've ever done. It's, um, but I, I like, I, it's hard and yet I like it. It's, uh, okay, like you thrive off of it. It feels like it makes really you good to have a like, chapter finished up, yeah. and, and I love <laughs> implementing materials. I, I, I spent 16 and a half years teaching at Purdue. When I finished up at, at WIC, okay. I was invited to come back and teach the course in nutrition communication. I ended up teaching quite a few courses, but oh, yeah, so did? I spent 16 and wow. a half years at Purdue teaching that course I loved. When the professor who started it and had taught it when I was a student retired, they invited me to come back and teach it. And it was, I, I just, I love teaching and I've retired from that for about four years now. And when someone asks if I miss it, it's like, no, because I love what I'm doing now. But (laughs) um, it's so rewarding to see students get something. And a class like that where they where they actually apply everything they're teaching and they do it and they perform it and they grow and they get excited about communicating about nutrition, whether it's in writing or creating videos or doing food demos or going out in the community and doing presentations. It's like watching your kids do a dance recital or something and they've mastered a skill and, and they grow in confidence and it's extremely rewarding. So when you think about, um, you know, as far as where you were, you know, working for WIC and that type of education versus teaching college students, did you find that your niche was more like teaching college students or did you really like that education piece in a community setting too? I loved them both. And when I was at, when I was consulting in a nursing home, I, one of the things I liked best was creating in-services for the food service staff (laughs) or doing an educational program for the nursing staff or something for the residents. I love every audience. I really do. I don't know that I've met an audience that I don't like. I I love schoolers. I love middle schoolers can be a challenge, but uh, Gosh, for years I did a Sunday school class that was with middle school. I love them too. So I don't know that I'd want to do that as a full-time job though. Sure, sure. <laughs> I, I, I hats off to those that, that choose that age group. There are more challenging age groups. Actually, I, I would have to say little kids might be my favorite audience. Uh, they are so enthusiastic. They, they are. Learning. <laughs> um, College students are great, and and college students are are better 
in some respects than say when you go into a high school classroom where they have to be there and they might be kind of blase and like oh just you know. yeah <laughs> but if you, if you do it right they'll get into it and they'll they'll be engaged whereas college students typically in a course that's in their major they've chosen to be there that sure. doesn't always make the <laughs> yeah class, I don't know there's there's challenges with everyone but now I really I'll have to honestly say I haven't met an audience I I haven't liked now did you continue your private practice while you were teaching as well I did for a while but that just got to be too much uh, I gotcha. I I always started every job part-time <laughs> and, then, and then everything <laughs> sort of became full-time and um <laughs> <laughs> so I've done a lot of different things. But one of the things that I've never done is applied for a job. They've always come. Really? Always, That's amazing. always come to me from the doctor that was in the hospital room <laughs> that invited me to do a private practice to consulting in a nursing home that someone called me and said, would you take my maternity leave? And then she never came back to oh, wow. the, <laughs> the, the, the associate in our dietetic association that was running the WIC program and asked me out for lunch and said, I really think that you'd be good for working in my WIC program to our, my department asking me to come back. Um, wow. <laughs> Acad- that says a lot about you though. The, the Academy <laughs> contacted me about writing the book. I, I didn't. So yeah, let's lead into that then. I mean, so you've been retired for a few years. Mm-hmm. And have you always had a like a connection with the academy? Have you always been kind of working with the academy, even out of retirement? How did that all start for so, you? So that's an interesting story too. So the year before I retired, I wrote an electronic textbook for non-majors, a basic nutrition textbook. It's called, um, I have to look at my <laughs> nutrition for everyone. <laughs> I, I spaced it out. I had to look at my bookshelf. <laughs> and one of the reviewers for that book was Roberta Dyfe. And Roberta has been an author for the Academy for many years. And when the Academy, some group in the Academy met and was discussing what books they needed to develop, and they had gotten surveys and feedback that they needed to redo a book on nutrition communication. There had been one published in the 90s. It had gone out of print. They hadn't done anything since then. And so they'd identified this need and they were chatting about, well, who might we reach out to about working on this? And Roberta recommended my name because Roberta knew that I taught a nutrition communications course. She may or may not have known that I was retiring. I, I don't know that for sure but mm-hmm. Betsy Hornick from the from the academy then contacted me and said would you be interested in this and the funny thing is is that during the time that I had been finishing up the other textbook I'd said I am never absolutely never writing another <laughs> textbook because it about killed me it really it was tremendously hard work and Yet, then when I was asked this, I was like, oh gosh, I think I'm going to have to eat my words because the entire time I was teaching that course, I thought, I wish there was a book about this. And I had developed some resources that I had had the students purchase in a binder from the campus copy shop thing where they would copy things students, teachers made. And... So I had that, and I actually sent that then to Betsy at the Academy and said, well, this is kind of some stuff we could start with. And, and there was some stuff from that that found its way into the book. But uh, it was just one of those opportunities, and I thought, okay, it was killing me to write that textbook when I was teaching full-time. But now that I'm retired, it could be a totally different animal, and it has been. And I also... Did not do it. That book I wrote solo. Now I had some great editorial help with it, but in this case, mm-hmm. it it was agreed on very early on that to to not do it as a solo effort. That we would invite other people to participate. I don't think they had any idea that it'd be as many as as we did. But um, did. <laughs> that to me was tremendously valuable to have so many authors 
to participate. So after they kind of approached you about the idea and having different people contribute, was it kind of like, hey, Barb, you kind of run with this and kind of however you envision this to look like? I mean, how does that process start and how do you get from where it starts to well, where we are now? One of the big now? things that I... I don't undertake anything like this without doing what I call a needs assessment. And we have an entire chapter on that in the book. And so even though they mm-hmm. had done some initial work to find out, yes, people want this, they've requested it. I wasn't just going to write it in a silo somewhere. So I said, okay, we need to survey educators. We need to survey practitioners. And so that was something we started with. And we collected information. And and Betsy Hornick at the Academy was instrumental in working with me. We really worked hand in hand for many months on a lot of these initial things that got the book rolling because even though I had a template of things that I had taught in my course I wanted to know what other people thought was valuable and Mm -hmm. so then from that starting point we asked some of those educators could we talk to you in a little more depth and so I got I don't know a couple dozen folks that said yeah I'd love to talk to you more about this so I had kind of in-depth interviews over the phone with lots of people and got even more ideas of how people were teaching this. And this was graduate level, supervised practice folks, as well as undergraduate. And it wasn't the majority that had a class like I had taught. So I was really learning about how people might be implementing the book. So top of mind from the beginning of writing this book, we knew that it was not going to necessarily just be fit into a course like I had taught. So it had to have that um, flexibility or applicability. Then we also then, and I don't even remember exactly the whole timeline, we put out a, a kind of an invitation. If you're interested in being a part of writing or reviewing this book, let us know. Oh my goodness, we had dozens, dozens of people volunteer yes it is it shows the interest (laughs) they wanted to be a part of this they knew it was important and they wanted to be a part of it so we had we had asked them to specify what aspects and I I don't know you might remember like you probably replied to one of these although we we sometimes had gaps in yes in the expertise in certain areas and we needed to go out and and actually solicit some people. But by and large, it was people coming to us, and I wanted it to be a balance of educators and practitioners. It was It's not just names that everybody already knows. There's many people that are much less known, including me. I'm, I'm no famous dietitian. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Oh, I don't know about You're going to be. So, well, I guess that name, my name is on the cover. But, but yeah. So I can still remember looking at all these names and, and we sorted them by topics and some topics had so many names under them and then extending invitations to people and kind of negotiating where they might fit in. And I mean, there were some chapters that we could have had 50 people (laughs) help with. And we did have up, we did have a couple of chapters that had five authors on it. Most had two, three, a few had only one. And that was, in some cases, their choice. They did not want to have a co author. And so we, we kind of worked with all of that. And we spent several months. Um, and you may recall this, where the authors then got kind of matched up and acquainted. Some people knew each other. Some people didn't. They might have Zoom calls where they'd all kind of collaborate on, on who's going to write what parts. We spent a considerable number of months creating a table of contents. And some of that was was generated before all the authors came online. Other aspects of that got tweaked and refined with the author's input. So that, 
it was probably a year from when I first got asked before we really started writing anything. Might even be, it might even be longer than that. A book writing oh, wow. of a textbook is, is generally you're looking at about a three-year process. Yeah, it's, it's lengthy. Okay. I didn't know that. That's it really is. And then you go through writing first drafts, reviewing them, writing second drafts. I mean, it's, there's a whole process. Then you, then you get copy editors that get involved. I just, in February, finished what's called the first pass where you actually get layouts and you have to go through and make sure everything is correct. Very tedious. Very it sounds like it's very tedious and you have to be very organized and very much attention to detail. You absolutely do. Yes. Yes. And I'll give you an example of something that can kind of upset the apple cart and you kind of think, oh, do I really want to do that? Well, we had two chapters that had a lot of similar content in one of the sections that was on media. And we decided that really the best thing to do was combine them. So a what used to be chapter 33 got rolled into chapter 27. Well, you know what that does? All the chapters yeah. after it get renumbered. And so references sure. to, we do an awful lot of reference, cross-referencing between chapters in the book. And so if you were referencing anything from after chapter 32, you had to renumber that. And it's, it's all been fixed, but it was one of those things where you knew that that was going to be a hassle, but it was, wow. it was, the, right, that, yeah. it was the right decision to make, mm-hmm. but it, mm-hmm. you know, the, those are the kinds of things that come along yeah, with, come along with okay. yeah. Okay. yeah, sure. So when you explain, um, like for the listeners that are listening to our conversation today, when you explain that, why don't you explain the textbook to them or explain the book to them and how it could be useful for any dietitian in there? So the, the book is called Communicating Nutrition, The Authoritative Guide. And it has really two audiences and which is not necessarily recommended for most things that you do, you, you want to narrow your audience as much as possible, and we instruct you to do that in the book. But there is no resource on nutrition communication. There is none. And usually when you're writing a textbook, you're looking at who your competition is and, and looking at what, what they have to offer. There isn't competition for this book. And so it needed, it. To, it needed <laughs> to reach both people who were becoming foods and nutrition professionals, as well as those that are already in the field. And I think it does a very good job of that. But we we were sensitive to the fact that it's a textbook that doesn't have things like study questions at the end of the chapters or, or objectives at the beginning of the chapters. It doesn't feel too textbooky. It doesn't refer to the reader okay. as a student. So all of that kind of stuff is going to go in these ancillary materials that I'm working on now. So we're going to we're going to help the, the people using it as a textbook to use it as a textbook, but it's not going to feel like a textbook. And you know what's cool? Something else we've done is we've pilot tested the the rough drafts for the past three or maybe even four semesters, and the students love it. They love the personal stories that are in it. They love the way that it's worded. The voice that it has is very personal and engaging and easy to read. The chapters are relatively short. So it doesn't have a super textbooky feel, but it's very well referenced. It has plenty of meat and evidence to back up the content. It's not fluffy. And it wasn't always easy to find evidence for some of the chapters that there's nothing written. We have an entire chapter on how to do a Q&A. Well, that's going to be a really huh. helpful chapter, but it's not like a whole lot of people have done research on it. If you do a PubMed search sure. on <laughs> Q&As, you're not going to find a lot. So it some some other chapters had a lot more to work with, but we we really did our homework to to put 
that information there. So it has a very practical feel as well as the theoretical background to go with it. It's filled with checklists and uh, just practical things of how to implement the material. So the there's 42 chapters. They cover kind of basic things about basic principles of how to develop communication, including things like needs assessment, like I referred to. It has a chapter on behavior change models and encourages you to incorporate them into the design of your communication. A whole section on how to develop and give presentations. There's a section that you were involved in that has writing and uh, writing for magazines and how to do food demos and food photography. And there's a section, all an entire section on media an entire section on kind of the best practices in communicating from how to be a good moderator, how to take care of logistical details, how to evaluate the Q&A chapter is in there, how to market. There's a chapter on grant writing, a chapter on writing research articles, chapter on writing books chapter on writing business letters and having meetings and uh, it just covers oh, wow. a ton of content it's yes. everything in fact you would never cover all of this in one course oh so it would it would probably be a, a couple semesters worth of content at least and and the thing is is we don't we're not promoting it as something that one course should feel like they need to cover it all it just wouldn't work but it's the kind of book, what, one of the things that we're really going to encourage is for a department to say, okay, the students in our major are going to purchase this book when they're a freshman. And in this introductory course that they learn about their major, we're going to cover the first three chapters. And they're going to think mm-hmm. about how the profession of dietetics or being a nutrition scientist communication is fundamental and so we're going to lay some groundwork plus there's a chapter on being professional and being ethical and those kinds of things that are fundamental to just being a good student too and many students in their first couple of years take a a comm class a speech class that's taught Mm -hmm. by another department but we're going to be encouraging them to be thinking about you know what that class you're taking is also kind of tied into how you're going to use it in your nutrition profession. And so getting them thinking along those lines. Because a lot of times students will take a course in another department and think, how is this relevant? And so that will, yeah. <laughs> that will help them. Or when they're taking that English class, they, we can remind them, look, writing is fundamental to being a professional. And so pay attention in that class. We'll be asking you to write in your next semester or whatever. And then I'm, I'm giving them ideas of how then to take other sections. Like there's a whole section on how to kind of read the scientific literature. How do you find good references? How do you cite your references? And that is a skill that they need fairly early on in college. And we're going to be asking them to use over and over again. So why not, why not cover that part of the book when they're taking that introductory nutrition course or some other course early on? So that's the way that we're encouraging that it's not just dumped all into one class. It's like a companion book for like your undergraduate. It is. It is. It's the kind of thing that we're trying to teach them. This should be on your bookshelf. Now it'll also be electronic. So it could be an electronic bookshelf, but the, the, the fact is, this is a book you're going to go back to over and over again. Maybe during your undergraduate, you'll never be asked to do a video or asked to mm-hmm. do a food demo. But maybe in graduate school or your supervised practice, you will be. And so you could pull that out again, and it gives you the nuts and bolts of how to do it and why to do it a certain way. And Well, and I go. think even as, you know, even as you get into your profession, too, like, all the changes you had throughout your journey, you know, that definitely could be a book that would be applicable if you could change careers or if you move and try something different. You could actually reference That's right. That. Absolutely. And one of the things that we tried to keep top of mind is that many things that we use today 
just a few short years ago didn't exist. So there's a chapter on social media and there's another one on blogging. And, and those types of skills are translatable into the channels of tomorrow. And so the next revision of the book may have a new chapter on something else, mm-hmm. but the principles of how you create communication, how you deliver it, how you design it, principles that go into it are timeless. And so the what I studied and did my master's thesis on was on the role of sender-receiver interaction. Well, by golly, I am still talking about that today when I talk about in chapter one that communication is a relationship. It's not just a message. It's it's a relationship that you develop between yourself and your audience, whether it's an audience of one or an audience of millions. And you need to know your audience. I mean, I don't see. I get excited about this. No, that's <laughs> I great. About it. But that's. That's a timeless principle, and I don't care what, you know, when we're communicating with the people up in Mars that have made a colony, Mm -hmm. and however we communicate with them, that principle will still be true. And so, those are the kinds of things that I used to tell my students that were in my nutrition communication class, you may go into a different career. You may choose to leave nutrition 10 years from now, but this class will still be beneficial to you because everything you do needs communication. That's so true. That is so true. I would have loved to have this book when I transitioned from clinical to retail because that was a whole other animal when it came to communications. And I could have used that dearly. Yes. Yes. So we will be encouraging any dietitian, any nutrition professional to get a copy of the book, We've priced it reasonably. It's just, it's going to be very invaluable. And we will definitely include that information if the listeners are interested in purchasing it or perusing it and seeing what it looks like and what it's all about. I'll put that in the show notes, the link for that. Um, and then, of course, Barb. Barb, you have such a great presence on social media, too. I gained so much knowledge from your post on Instagram and LinkedIn, too. You kind of cross. I think you are you on all. Are you on Facebook as well? So I'm on Facebook, but no one sees anybody on Facebook unless they pay for ads. That's so annoying right. to me. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. Yeah, I, have, I have a Facebook page for Nutrition Communicator. I have... I have two Twitter accounts, one that's Barb Mayfield that I do a quote of the day, and then Nutrition Communicator no. that has uh, more of my nutrition communication stuff, and then LinkedIn, and then Instagram is my newest. I haven't even been on it quite a year, and I'm still learning it. I haven't done stories yet. That's my next thing to challenge myself. But you know, when you think about the fact that when I went to college, I felt fortunate that I had an electronic electric typewriter that had a correcting ribbon. So when you think about the technology that has taken place in my career, I feel pretty good about the fact that I'm on social media at all. Absolutely. You've seen so many changes, for sure. You know, it's only going to get more exponentially new. I, I can't imagine that it won't. I know. I can't imagine what it'll be. Yeah, it really, we can't imagine. But what we're doing today, podcasting. Back back when I started teaching my nutrition communication course, we taught about radio shows. Well, that has transpired into podcasts. Not that radio still doesn't exist, but then again, Mm -hmm. same kind of principles apply the importance of your voice and being descriptive so people can picture things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, It's so interesting. So tell me, um, are you still kind of, are you still in the thick of the book? Or are you working on some other things or what's kind of the future holding for you? I know you got some grandkids <laughs> you spent a lot of time with, which I love you that you share those photos as well. I hope that, that someday they don't, get mad at me for, for it's sort of against their, their will. But, well, I don't know about that, but actually they get pretty excited. You know, it's so fun when you see a little kid and you take a picture and then they go, show me the picture. Yes. <laughs> I want to see it right away. Oh, 
So what's what? Really, right now, I'm still very much in the thick of creating these ancillary materials, which are the materials that educators will get. This will probably mm-hmm. be full time work for me for several months to get those ready, so that by the time next semester rolls along, they're they're really re- prepared to teach. And then just keeping up with blogging and social media and that. I, I'm interested in doing some potentially continuing education that is book related, uh, but I'm, I'm oh, not sure. sure what that's going to look like. And it kind of depends on how much other people do because I'm not necessarily interested in, uh, repeat, you know, redesigning something if someone else does something that Related to the book yes. is great. I'm going to promote it. Yeah, so it. I, yes. But I do know that we're doing some webinars that, with the Academy that are based on content from the book. We've done one already. We're doing another one in May. So those will continue. Uh, I like to do speaking, although I don't do as much of it as I did at one point, and nor do I want to. So as you said, um, mm-hmm. one of the reasons that we both retired was to spend time with our grandkids. So that is important. But I do intend to, to continue to develop uh, materials and resources that will help be, help people be better communicators. I've created a whole series of tip sheets that are on my website and they're free. And I'm contemplating putting them in a book. I'm also contemplating creating a book that's based on some work that I've done that's kind of fun that I've created these characters that are all the different types of ways we miscommunicate and so I have misperception and misinformation and they're actually characters (laughs) so miss is m-i-s-s I like it and uh, (laughs) if you go to my website I have a little downloadable quiz that you can figure out which miscommunication character is your nemesis and so I'm contemplating then working into a book that helps people more kind of almost like a workbook and so this would not be just for people in our profession but more for anyone because we all yes. suffer from miscommunication that could be like and a so those are the kind that could of be like a I'm marriage relationship <laughs> As Well, actually, actually, so I do some speeches on miscommunication that's more related to speaking to a group or uh, writing, those kind of things, less so about miscommunicating conversationally. But I've been working on kind of a sister talk to that that is on the more interpersonal. Yeah. Because let's face yeah. it, that's a challenge too. So, and I don't know that I can claim to be an true, expert true. at that. <laughs> well, that's I guess the more, the more transparent you are about your own failings, then I think that that comes through and people Absolutely. trust you and believe you. And we're all in this together. In fact, one of the things that I've put in the ancillary materials I've been working on the introduction for to the to the instructors is that knowing that so few instructors had a course, many people are going to be charged with mm-hmm. teaching content from this book that are going to think, I am not qualified. I don't know how to do this. And so I've, I've been encouraging them to realize you're going to learn as you teach and just look at it as some, a way to just continually improve. And anyone that does this, has that aspiration to just keep getting better. Like my wanting to do Instagram stories. Anyone want to call me up and teach me how, walk me through it? I'm all yours. <laughs> I just haven't got around sure. to it yet. You know, but we are always learning something new and getting better. I love that. That's it. And that's how you it should approach everything in life, right? It really is. I totally believe that. We're not finished. No. At all. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> We're a work in progress. <laughs> so true. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited for it to come out. It'll be interesting to see how it's received. And um, I hope that dietitians that are listening today, you know, definitely research, you know, look into it, buy it. I think it'll be a great resource for everybody. And the love that Barb has put into it, you guys, she has, you've done amazing work and you've been so great to work with on the project. So thank you for that. 
You're welcome. Um, and thank thanks you. for sharing your story with us today, too. It's so interesting to know the background behind the person, too. <laughs> it's kind of been a winding trail. <laughs> You've never applied for a job. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have uh, well, <laughs> I have my five questions I ask everyone at the end of the podcast, and I hope you're ready for those. I'm awesome. ready. Shoot them awesome. to me. Why don't you share with me the foods that you enjoy? Oh, gosh. What food don't I enjoy? <laughs> That's what list is pretty short. But foods that I enjoy are the foods that I share with my family. And during this time where we cannot get together with one another is really tough. I'm such a proponent of family meals and sharing meals with one another that this is hard. This is really hard. Uh, oh gosh, I just, I just you love it. Do you, did you, did you always <laughs> as a family, did you have family dinner every night with like your children? I did. Yes. Yeah, I did. I grew up having family meals. I had family meals with my kids and it really, it wasn't until I was doing home visits as one of the jobs that I didn't even share that I did of, of going in as a, a early intervention specialist that I realized that people didn't do yeah. that. People didn't even have tables cleared off or didn't have a table. And so here I was trying to help them feed their kids and I, it became really obvious that we needed to start with the fundamental of let's eat together. Yeah. And man, as soon as they did that, it seemed like all the other problems went away. It was like, oh my wow. gosh, I have, I have figured something out. And, and so one of the things that I really worked at with WIC was we, we need to start talking about this. We need to start asking people, not just what they're eating, but who are they eating with? Hmm. And so that was something that we started to change around. That's so interesting. Hope they're still doing it. Mm-hmm. So just not necessarily a food, but you enjoy dinner with your family. I love that. Yes, I do. Um, any beverages that you enjoy? Hmm. I am a big water drinker and I also love uh, just like flavored teas. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't get through my morning without coffee. <laughs> but I, I went through many years where alcohol gave me headaches. So I really don't drink much of that, even though I've kind of outgrown that. Sure. Um, so, hmm. Yeah, water is always a good choice. I mean, I know yeah. it's very dietitian-y, but it's still a great yeah, choice. <laughs> it, it really is. I do have a famous punch that I make for everything. Oh, that, you do? Uh, yes, I do. That's that's a frozen, it, it's made with lemonade and orange juice and pineapple juice and some sugar. You freeze that and then you when it's slushy, you add something like a Sprite or 7-Up. And you can also add alcohol. I've made it, pro- I've probably made a few hundred gallons of it in the course of the last four decades. <laughs> oh, you know, I make it for kids' graduation parties and oh, Christmas fun. parties and stuff. So that's, I guess that's my famous beverage. Yeah, I love mom. that you have a famous beverage. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, um, what kind of things did you like to listen to or um, are you a person that listens to music or podcasts or what do you kind of like to listen to? Well, I like to work actually in quiet. I know some people really love background music, but I like silence when I when I work and I'm creative, even though I have written lots of uh, nutrition songs. That was my claim to fame early on. Ooh. But yeah, I was I was nicknamed the singing dietitian. <laughs> And my first, my first presentation at, at a FINCI meeting, which we used to call the ADA annual meeting back mm-hmm. in, I think maybe 1988 or something, it was in San Francisco, was about using music to teach nutrition. So, mm. uh, so, oh, I like listening to Christian radio. I, when I used to commute to Purdue back and forth, I used to listen to K-Love. So I like gotcha. music. Um. Uh, but that's awesome that you were the singing dietitian. <laughs> Don't ask we'll share, we'll share that for another podcast and we'll just have well, you sing. On my website are some of the songs. You can, oh, good. You, you can actually click on that and get some of my old time kids club lessons. 
Not all well, of them the, by any means, but I did post some of those. <laughs> you well, can, the link of you your website will be in the show out. notes. Okay. <laughs> uh, do you like any certain scents or smells? Actually, for for many years when I used to have migraine headaches, smells were one of the triggers. So oh. I guess no. I, I really love <laughs> I really love just the smell of spring. Um I also love the smell of the ocean and the beach. We go to Florida mm-hmm. now every February, and I love that smell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also love the smell of dinner cooking. Mm. Especially when your husband's making yes. it. Yes, right? he's making a homemade <laughs> tuna noodle casserole, and I can already smell it coming up the stairs to my office. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds lovely. Um, and what brings you joy in life, Barb? Oh, gosh. You know what? Life gives me joy. I feel very blessed to just wake up every morning and realize we have another chance at life. The sun comes, you know what? In spite of the darkness of the world, it gives me joy that spring comes after winter. And um, babies are born. We have another grandchild coming in June. And there's just so much promise of good things ahead and I guess if I could leave people with just a hopeful thought that tomorrow can be a better day and there's just a lot of so many things give me joy my my grandkids give me so much joy oh my goodness that is a (laughs) blessing of surviving parenthood May may all the young mothers and fathers listening that are pulling their hair out because they're working at home with their kids, uh, mm-hmm. if if that's still the case when this plays, um, may you one day be blessed with grandchildren. Ah, well, I think just talking to you is very joyful. You're very, you are a very joyful person. You can just tell it throughout the whole conversation today. So. Thank you for sharing everything today. Well, you are welcome, and may you have a joyful day, too. Barb encompasses exactly what experiencing joy is all about. I'm so shocked she's never applied for a job, but I think that says a lot about who she is. I'm also very grateful to have been a part of the Communicating Nutrition, the authoritative guide. As a dietitian student and as a dietitian in the field, this truly is a must-have for your bookshelf. Please head over to the show notes and click on the link and learn more about getting one of your own. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.